Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. Uh, joined alongside, as I am every week, by Grail Hallett, the mighty might, formerly of the midfield and a media executive, and also the OTB producer and a Serie A specialist, a man who's got to be happy with Azuri's performance, Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we talk to the big man, Gigante Rojo. I sound like Sebastian Salazar there. Uh, he's Fox soccer analyst, Alexi Lalas. We talked to Lex about a lot. A summer of soccer, as Lexi calls it, with uh, Copa America. We got the Euros, U.S. men's women's teams playing hockey and the recent controversy with his uh, his broadcast partner heather o'reilly i don't think it was really uh controversy guys i don't know if you saw it he just made a basically a point controversial well but he just was making a point about do you really try to develop players through playing in these in some of these friendlies or do you just try to win at all cost and i think um that's kind of the U.S. women's brand, uh, but it's just so funny what takes hold on Twitter and and uh, takes on a life of its own. So, so much soccer, guys. Though it's a, it's a lot of fun. Our, our football chalice runneth over. Um, so, uh, Copas, I'm watching Euros, I'm watching. But before we get to all that, the Christian Eriksen, uh, what happened with that? Boy, by the way, guys, I, I missed Bob Lee in coverage. That's that was like that's one of the things that he just takes over. Mm-hmm. Like when, um, you know, when he was like Jim broadcasting McKay, Jim McKay at the Olympics at the Olympics or when when uh, Bob Lee did the whole earthquake in San mm-hmm. Francisco during that game. So, all right, before we get started, though, guys, what are we over on over the ball grail? Well, uh, yeah, so I'm going to give a little bit of an insight into how the sausage is made at OTB because we do actually discuss things before we do this podcast. And I was talking about what I was over and I was about to rant about male players wearing sports bras. And Sam, our resident expert in technology, pointed out to Grail the dinosaur that the reason they're wearing sports bras is because it's essentially a uh, a GPS performance tracking device that tracks everything about their heart rate, performance, et cetera. All the major clubs use it. So I thought it was a weird fashion statement. What? But, but I, I was what, like, why like, are guys is... wearing sports bras? Come on. Oh, that, that, that's not, that's the most ridiculous even, thing I've ever heard. These, these are like very slightly built European players who have no pecs. So they have nothing to support anyway. Even if they and, had pecs. And, and what, lo, what would lo, you... lo, lo and behold, I, Sam showed me the way so thank is you, it sam. is it still pc can you call someone a moron sam yes, you're yeah. a young generation yes. <laughs> i thought we went over this that's like the uh, first question somebody asks because like everybody every helmet head football guys like why is he wearing a sports bra i'm like it's a gps tracker i'm gonna wear one in my next pickup game in pelham how's that so that uh hopefully i can uh, detect any problems with my your heart rate will be your heart rate will be up to 180 for god's <laughs> sake so uh yeah it's not a sports bra everybody out there it's it's a highly developed you know system to track players they say you're in the red zone you're in the whatever all the stuff we didn't have tracker so yeah. uh and, and it can be yours for 299 dollars 99 no that stuff works because yeah. uh you know and plus you know i guess build up your pecs and then wear a sports bra as far as <laughs> grail is concerned oh my god what an idiot all right sam what are you over yeah, I'm over the sort of general consensus that seems to be out there in reading these numerous previews of the Euro that uh, the club game has by now sort of left the international game in the dust. Uh, and I, I'm not, I hate when people do this and just say like they say, so, so I don't have an actual yeah, who, article that I'm going to yeah. quote from here, but I think it's fair to say that that is a very generally held belief. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess, first of all, do you guys believe that that's the case? 
I think I think it's case by case, Sam. I think some okay. players leave their club team and actually play with consistently better players on the national team, mm-hmm. and and other and other it's the inverse for others. They actually go they take a step down because they yeah well, you know if you're playing for Bayern Munich and your country happens to be a third tier thing, you're going to actually be going the other direction. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that. No, that's true. That. But if you're a third tier team, generally you're not on Bayern. Um, though there are some, but I I think. I think it's pretty obvious from watching the games mm-hmm. that your your the national teams are not playing at the level that the club teams are playing, and I think that's for a very simple reason. One is you're playing nine months a year with your your team. You know, we talk about this with Lexi about how Sergino Dest, what he does for Barcelona, is not what he's doing for the U.S. men's national team. So it's definitely a step down. But you don't have nine months to play yourself into a position to find what actually works, and that's what makes a national team coach. Uh, coaching a national team so difficult as you have such a short amount of time to get a team ready for a tournament. Yeah. No, 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 I saw, yeah. I agree. Robert Lewandowski is a perfect example. Yeah. I, you know, exactly. I, I agree yeah. that a club team can be more sophisticated and certain strategically and tactically just because of the time you have to work right. with the players. But my point, my ultimate point is that the people that are saying this must be the people that only watch like essentially the super league teams. Cause yeah, there's no mm-hmm. question, you know, Man City and PSG are much better than these national teams, but, I think in average club game across Europe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the likes of which I watch many of because I'm a Fiorentina fan, uh, is at a far lower level than a mm-hmm. lot of these national teams. So right. I, I think if people are going to say, I don't think you can group the club game into one sort of box is totally agree. all that I'm saying. Second good, and, second and third point. tier would be outmatched. Uh, in a big way by national teams. Absolutely. I don't think anybody's arguing that point. And I think we also get used to watching Liverpool and Bayern and Barcelona. And so we're watching that level of play because they're, they're elite even within their domestic league. So, Mm -hmm. um, so good. All right. So, um, all right. So a lot going on. What do you guys want to talk about first? Well, what you, you got I, going? Weren't you auditioning for something? Oh yeah, that's right. Ah, uh, no, we're. Right. You know, oh, he was hanging out with Vigo and Russell. No, they're not. Come in the room on, you're, you're hanging with them. They're not in the room and you're auditioning for this stuff, or be, or reading for stuff. It's called because I have a role in this movie called the uh, World's Longest Beer Run, and it was originally supposed to be in Australia, then New Zealand, then they said Thailand, then back to Australia because you know Russell Crowe you know likes to stay home apparently, but um, no one knows because here we are. We're already you know in California, New York, COVID uh, quarantine things. If the the rules have been sort of released, people are getting back out in public, but not for the rest of the world. Right. And so Thailand's had an outbreak. Australia is really difficult to get in and out of. Um, a lot of people, if you go into that country, you have to sit you know, in a hotel room with no windows and food is delivered for two weeks, uh, mm-hmm. even if you've been vaccinated. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, uh, my, my girlfriend works in film and television as well. And the production Productions keep changing almost daily because people don't know how to get things done. So, uh, so yeah, it's a wait and see thing. But I'm growing my hair for the role because it's a sort of a guy who gets you know stays in v- Vietnam during the war there, and um, and a lot of the guys have long hair. So uh, I'm growing my hair, and Lexi kind of takes a run at me of all people to take a run at me with long hair is Lexi Lawless. Come on. You're looking like William Macy on Shameless, by the way. That's, oh, wow. Yeah, give yeah. me a break. <laughs> God. <laughs> that fits your Irish background perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to the dermatologist yesterday, which is like, I think that guy with my Irish skin going out in the sun playing soccer and basketball for years, it's like it's like putting a fork in the microwave. He just, 
he's cutting and he's taking me out of this world one little piece at a time. It's terrible. <laughs> I think he, he's got a whole wing at one of his summer homes based on my skin. <laughs> so, uh, but so speaking of medical and health issues, this is, you know, I, and this has been in talked to and covered quite a bit. It's interesting to watch when the Euros actually permeate American news broadcasts, but the Christian Erickson uh, situation really was uh, quite scary for everybody to watch. But in some ways, th there was a silver lining here because Christian seems to be doing uh, well. Uh, you know, I can't say recovered. They don't know what the malady was. But boy, they, the captain of that team knew CPR, ran over, turned him over, like did exactly what he was supposed to. My thought was he was getting medical attention within a minute. Mm -hmm. And it was still, he was gone. He, the, their, their team doctor said he was a goner. What I find so interesting is, guys, if it was us right now, yeah. no one would get to us in time. You'd, no. you'd be dead. You're playing um, a pickup game somewhere and you keel over, that's it. And that happens. That happens yeah. a lot. So yeah. I think a lot of people are talking about, I think the Italians, Sam, said uh, some of the, the found, uh, federation said everybody should be schooled in CPR. Yeah, so the the, the president of the Italian Federation suggested immediately after this that all players be trained in CPR going forward, um, which I think would be a really cool idea. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think certainly in this moment in time, anyone would have any arguments to that after essentially right. Kier, you know, saved Erickson's life. But um, yeah, that would help for, you know, in any number of reasons. Well, I, think, I mean, I, I think, did it. I would imagine all, all of us have some sort of CPR training. I mean, just yeah. being around the game and watching what happens. I, I, I had it when my daughter was born. You know, I tried to learn it. Yeah, I think I think the big winners in the situation were the protocols in Copenhagen, which were spectacular and everything was done correctly. I think the the, the embarrassment, it was UEFA uh, again. And now, as this comes out further, UEFA is looking worse and worse. You know, they said that they asked both teams if they were prepared to play the game, you know, two hours later. And they, apparently uh, the uh, Denmark team had spoken to Ericsson, who gave them the blessing. However, this is the way I look at it. UEFA, you're the organization. You step in and say, we think it's better to play this game either 24 or 48 hours from now when everybody can kind of process what's going on. Instead, because they didn't want to change the schedule, they jammed it in two hours later, and it was, you know, 22 guys sleepwalking through a game, which Denmark ended up losing. So it had huge ramifications. And again, I'm like, UEFA, step up and do your job. Well, as I, as I understood it, they were given two options. They could have finished the game on the day, or they could have played it noon the next day. And the players decided, given those two situations, to finish that day would have been preferable. But... But a neither people, was a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have said since then, Sam, and, and uh, Katz, uh, Schmeichel's dad has been very outspoken about this, mm -hmm. is that's not good enough. Have a third option. Yeah. I mean, just create a third option because of the extenuating circumstances. And again, yeah. it was like the rush to get this thing done. Players can't make that decision in a state of shock. I just, yeah. I thought it was putting undue pressure on them just call it and say, we're going to do this game. All right. So I think you said jam it in. And I think the problem is they didn't jam it. And that was the day the game was scheduled. Um, players have always gotten hurt and we've had scary incidences. The games continue. Um, I think they would have jammed it in after 
these guys would have had less day of, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think there is a good answer. They were in tears during the warmups. Like all the De Denmark players were in tears. I mean, how can you possibly play in that? I, I would have chosen the next day, but the players decided yeah. to choose that day. So I think, you know, the best of a bunch of bad options, they said. And, and I love you. I love you said that. Uh, Casper Schmeigel's dad. I mean, Peter Schmeigel. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I just, I, never been no, 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 I just, I, I blanked for a minute. Yeah. All right. No worries. So yeah. I think um, the officiating guys has been pretty good though. How hasn't it? They've been letting him play. I, I've been yeah. really impressed to me. The biggest, I mean, obviously the Erickson situation aside, the biggest thing that stood out to me has been the, the officiating. And, you know, we have this sort of slightly new interpretation of the handball rule that's been handed down from UEFA and FIFA that, I think the tone was really set right away in the first game between Italy and Turkey, because I think there were two instances, uh, two handball instances that given the way the rule was applied, at least in Serie A this past year would have probably been penalties, but they right. weren't. And I think for the better, and I think it's now, you know, that has carried forward and I think it's been much, much better to watch. Um, but so Sam, it also points to VAR working because VAR, they, they're looking at these incidents up in the booth, right? Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, like yesterday, Mbappe happened to be offside on two goals, mm -hmm. which would have been allowed had VAR not interceded in it. So I think it's not mm -hmm. only the officiating, but the officiating is backed up by the VAR. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really working well together. Yeah. And, and I think the coverage, uh, ESPN's coverage has been good. They've, they've thrown some money at it. They've uh, really focused their attention. I miss Bob Lee, obviously. Oh, God. And you know that, uh, you know, the. Sebastian Salazar drives me crazy with the Spanish pronunciations. We've had this discussion on this show all the time. Yeah. But it was great. Maybe we could talk about the Mexico win uh, a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I think and I think it's been good to bring in, you know, players from a specific team to talk about the one of the countries that's playing in that match. I think that's a good move to have like an insider's perspective. Absolutely. On that. And I think they've done a really good job with that. I mean, the, the only guy that I think is, has been subpar is Reese Davis, who's really a, ba a college basketball um, guy, college basketball and college football. And he's just out of his realm and he, well, he can kind of feel it. Yeah. You know, look, it takes a long time to kind of get the depth of knowledge that it takes to talk about these yeah. things. Uh, I, you know, little buzzwords and things throw us off as soccer people. You're kind of like, Ooh, you know, they'll call yeah. it a, a, a goaltender uh, or something. Just, just a little slight. You're like, Whoa, what? You know, um, let me ask you guys this, though, because I'm not quite sure this answer. Sam, you might know it better. Are there foreigners on other broadcasts? Like, do Italians have, a, you know, a, a Turkish guy there? Or I think this is kind of uniquely American, having players or former players and coaches from all over talking about their team. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've seen some former players who played in Italy and obviously speak Italian on Italian yeah. broadcasts, but for the you know vast majority, it's it's Italians. Um, yeah. You know, obviously they're they're slightly hampered in that because not everyone speaks Italian the way everyone right, speaks right. English. But yeah. And and I got to give props to Taylor Twelman, who I think has done a good job of dialing it back a little bit because we we complain a lot about the fact that he kind of talks over the action. You, you and, complain a lot, I think. Well, no, well, you know, and, and, but, but in this case, I think he's actually done a good job of kind of like stepping back a little bit and letting, you know, John Champion do the play-by-play -play and him just interjecting with observations at the right time. 
Yeah, I, I think ESPN's done a good job, um, yeah. for sure. I, I also, I do have to say, I went and watched the first Italy game against Turkey with uh, my friend in the city, and we were watching on uh, Rai, which is the national broadcast, also on Sky Sports. So it's amazing. I mean, this game is on like five channels. It's like when right. there's a presidential debate going on in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, one, it's just nice to hear Italian and sort of like hear the enthusiasm around the game because there's like a rooting interest. But but I'm struck by how uh, commentators, analysts, etc., will just so blatantly refer to Italy as we during mm-hmm. the broadcast. Um, yeah. You know, there is no holding back and trying to be part. Uh, the Mexican broadcasters do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I so I don't know. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of watching like the Red Sox on Nesson. You know, it's very clear yeah. where the rooting interest lies, and I feel like. You know, we've talked to John Champion before, and he's all about, you know, being impartial, being measured, being balanced. And I have to think that also comes from the fact that the BBC is shown all over the world where, you know, Rye is only shown in Italy. But uh, I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Do you like kind of I, I think it's part, it, it goes with the territory. I'm like, you know, I, I've just gotten so used to it. Um, I, I don't like when home broadcasting teams aren't objective. That's where it crosses the line. If somebody does something stupid or bad, they don't call them out Mm -hmm. because they're worried about the, you know, management getting mad at them because they work for the Yankees or whatever. But I I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me that much having the kind of the we thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, some some good games, some good goals. Uh, that Scottish keeper, I think, is being maligned unfairly because that was uh, a hell of a goal. Well, yeah, and guys, look, we've all played the game. Patrick Schick scoring from 50 yards out. By the way, he had done his homework. He knew that David Marshall, the Scottish keeper, played about 25 yards out. He knew it ahead of time, so he was actually waiting for an opportunity to do it. And when he came, I mean, he, he bent the ball about – 15 yards he struck it so hard bent it up and over him and i just to me it's the signature individual moment of the uh of the tournament thus far it's a nice opportunity that he saw and he took so and it was good it was well executed it was perfectly hit the scottish keeper looked like a fish that was caught in a net afterwards so everybody was giving him a hard time because he looked like a you know a lobster well if he didn't make that effort they would have given him a hard time too exactly um so all right, so let's so let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about the national team. Uh, obviously, uh, we we the last time we broadcast was the day we played Costa Rica. But uh, he started what I think only two or three players from the from the Mexico game. Yeah, um, and which is was basically what what Lexi was talking about to Heather, which was how do you try out new players, um, and you know give him a, a look see. I mean, yeah. is Carly Lloyd an unknown entity at this point? Do you need to put her on the pitch? Uh, you know, because I think part of the problem is they're not playing enough games, but Carly Lloyd's made the team. And how about these other players coming up? Do you know, you know, and I know you have concerns about their goalkeeper grill. So wait, are we talking about the women's national the women's team national or the team, men's huh? national team? Okay. What, I just do we, an AD? No, no well, because do... we started off with Costa Rica and then we kind of moved over. Um, I Look, I, I think um, on, on, let's go to Costa Rica first. I, I think that game was more a statement about how far Costa Rica has fallen. Costa Rica four or five years ago was a force. They were a really, really good competitive team, right? And sure. was it the last world cup that they did really well? Um, yeah. But now, but now, you know, their coach was fired after this game. They gave up, you know, they gave up four goals again. I mean, 
I, you know, to me, it's like coming out of the Mexico game, this game, it was hard to even draw anything from this for the, for the U S men's national team. Um, But I just, I kept thinking like what happened to Costa Rica? These guys were really good. Well, I mean, you're not giving anybody their props of late. It seems Wales and you know, all these. No, no, but I am giving, I'm saying Costa Rica was a really good team. Well, they had Joel Campbell up there, the former Arsenal striker. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was sort of sad to see that he had never really, his career had not quite come to fruition at the yeah. level that people thought, because he was a heck of a player. I used to pull for him at Arsenal. Yeah. I liked, I liked the way he plays. But uh, and, I thought overall a good outing for the United States. We, we've talked about this already where you have uh, a very short period of time to figure out some players. And I yeah. got to look at a, at a couple of guys, you know, Aronson and, um, you know, that the Tyler Adams got to play a little more. Yeah. He got a few he, minutes he, he and he did better. Yep. Yeah. He, he uh, came on and, and he did well. So I think good things for the U S men's national Daryl DK, Daryl DK. Maybe he's the elusive number nine we've been looking for. Yeah. We talked to Alex about that a little yeah. bit as well to sort of, um, you know, he's a fan of DK's the hold up play that we need so much on the U S men's national team. Uh, we talked to Lexi about Josie Altidore, who I know is having problems with Chris Armis for former U S men's national team uh, midfielder who's in Toronto now, but yeah. actually not in Toronto. I think they're in Orlando. So boy, it's, it's always interesting to watch the end game with people's careers and especially how different it is this time with the quarantine where you know players didn't age out in on national television with the, like they generally do. Uh, there's and, been and, a year and, and a half off. And Josie's an old 31. I mean, he has had so many injuries over the course of his lengthy career. I mean, he's been start playing since he was what 18, I think. So uh, even sooner, I think. Yeah, I mean, earlier. so he's 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 had a lot of stuff to deal with over those 13, 14 years. So who knows? It could be the end of it. All right, good. So and uh, Sam, what do you got? Yeah, just my final observations on the Euro national team, all, all these competitions going on. Uh, I wonder, I want to get your guys' take on this. Is it crazy to suggest that a team's coach of the full national team should not also have to be of that same nationality? Wow. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if that's xenophobic or what, and I do understand the argument that a lot of people make, which is, you know, countries without a real soccer history. Some might say the U.S. even falls into that category, can benefit from foreign training for development. But it seems to me like when you're talking about the full national team, you're sort of beyond development, right? You're, you're just about kind of winning at that point. So I, I don't know. I So you're saying the the coach should be from the country that he's coaching? I, I, I'm wondering. Okay. I'm wondering. Well, look, Southgate's done a, Southgate's done a good job with England. Uh you know, but then again, you know, Roberto Martinez has done a very good job with Belgium. Well, it's not I about doing a good job. I think it's more about, you know, that you can't, Culturally. you know, a national team is made up of players only of that nationality. So should the coach not also uh, reflect that, I guess, is what I'm saying. Oh, God. Wouldn't you young kids call that uh, yeah. xenophobic? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just think it's... I mean, I mean from, from my standpoint, it just should be the the person who's best qualified. Yeah, but his, his point is, it should be like a, your nation is represented. Coaches, right? Well, remember like, at the Olympics, like four years ago, there was an outrage when it t- turned out that like the U.S. gear they were wearing was made in China. It was like a big yeah. deal, and Obama made everything like go back to the drawing board. I'd, so I don't know. It, it seems just slightly <laughs> naive like to me. Thing. No, I think this was. I think this was pre-Trump. Okay. Uh, you know, guys. It, it's interesting that this is the world's game and Americans generally aren't used to it. Like a lot of these, you know, various ramifications, like even talking about the broadcasters, the fact that America never had 
anything other than maybe, I guess, the Olympics, where you're just so solely, in a sense, rooting for your country. Yeah. But I think, you know, obviously, American journalistic principles have been compromised of late. But I uh -huh. think, uh, you know, that's what I studied in grad school. And it was like, you know, you're supposed to be not, you know, non-biased. Well, well and that, I, I, Berhalter. I get the non-bias and I get like, you know, it shouldn't matter maybe where the coach comes from. But but I do also think within that there are clearly dividing lines because yeah. I, I don't think any of us could ever imagine the U.S. having a Mexican head coach, for example, and vice versa. I just don't right. think it would happen the right. same way. I don't right. think France would ever have a German coach or vice versa. Yeah, yeah, but then you have Argentina. The yeah, but then you have the way right. the, the English treated Bob Bradley and their best coaches, the ones coaching the top teams are not even English. It's just, it, it's, uh, it's crazy. So, all right, so let's take a break. Then. We've covered, covered a lot of ground, guys, on that one, yeah. uh, in yeah. this opening. Uh, so let's take a break here. When we come back, uh, Alexi Lalas joins us, Fox Soccer Analyst. You're listening to Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now and over the ball is Fox Soccer Analyst and all-around decent human being, Lexi Lalas. Lex, welcome back to the show, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. Uh, I was, uh, I'm, we're, we're zooming here, and so I can see you, and you're, you, you, you hippie. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. Look at you. You got your hair flying all over the place. You're out in California now. Oh, it's, my goodness. I'm going to the dogs, man. It's all, I've got that, I've got the hair. You know, I think I'd still be a virgin if I didn't have my soccer hairdo in high school and college. <laughs> so I'm living that pipe dream, trying to bring it back with the COVID non-cut. But my girlfriend pointed out that I have a huge bald spot in the middle. And it just, I don't want to be that guy either. Yeah, that's you know? all right. Yeah. Just work it. You're fine. You look that, great. With the ponytail and the no fire paint. I, that's that's not a good look. So anyway, hey, Lex, so you're right in the middle of the Copas uh, with Fox. Um, you guys do a good job. We, uh, we love the job that you guys do at Fox. Also, the Euro's going on as yep. well. So uh, you getting any sleep? No, I mean, it's the summer of soccer. And yeah. uh, obviously, after the last year and a half and the postponement of all these tournaments, and now they're coming on and, you know, in, in different ways, obviously, I mean, we're doing Copa over at uh, over at Fox, which is, I mean, we didn't even know if it was going to happen. It was moved to different places. And now it's in Brazil. Uh, obviously, no, uh, uh, no crowd there. Uh, but then, you know, I'm getting up in the morning and watching uh, Euros and what that is and what that isn't. I mean, I think everybody is happy just to have these tournaments back in whatever form that they come. And then we got Gold Cup that we're doing on Fox later on, uh, the Olympics. So there's just there's so much soccer uh, this summer. I'm, and I think we're, we're also moving in the, you know, a, a positive direction, both on and off the field to having more right. crowds and getting back to at least some semblance of uh, traditional uh, normalcy when it comes to the communal aspect of the game that we miss so much. Well, I missed two things big time. And that was going out to restaurants and watching my soccer. So, yep. uh, yeah, it's great that, that it's on so much to watch. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the U.S. national team uh, because I view have a unique perspective on it as well. What are your overall thoughts? I mean, the Mexico win, obviously big and huge. From my perspective, they fought like you guys did of the olden yep. days, uh, which is something we hadn't seen, right? It, it was it was really interesting in the way that they they won this game. And yes, it was important. I think a lot of people will point to it. I think internally they will point to it as a real seminal type of moment where, you know, they, they came of age. And this is a very young and experienced team. And yet we saw a real personality 
and trait and character from them. And ironically, a team that we have so much hope and optimism uh, because of the kind of evolved way that they present themselves, it was a much more of a throwback style that really resonated with people out there. And so I think they've, they've taken the best of both worlds. They didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater in that they took that. And, you know, I was talking the other day on Twitter about we have to find this word for what what we saw. You know, it's like uh, the right. Supreme Court obscenity you know, ruling where I, I don't know it, but I, I can't explain it to you or define it. But I know it when I see it. And, and there was a lot of that when we saw them play against Mexico. And it's you know, it's a combination of of grit and character and Americanness or whatever, whatever it yeah, ends yeah. up being. But we know it when we see it. And it was really fun to see this group in particular embrace that past, but obviously with a mind to the future because of where they play and what they're doing. And I think just a general um, you know, a general optimism that we see that we have on the outside that kind of we saw on the inside. They want to do things differently. Right. You know, look, they had a young, they've been playing in all kinds of great clubs. They've been getting experience. They're not intimidated. You can sort of tell that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've always had that sort of cocky American swagger. But what I thought this team had lacked up until this point was that little bit of fight. And I saw it in a couple of moments in the midfield and with John Brooks sort of winning balls decisively, staying calm and, and sort of not putting up with the sort of Mexican uh, ability to sort of intimidate you and be so aggressive, keep your head, you know, that's what you guys had to learn to be professional, keep your head. It's, you know, let the ref call the game and th they came out fighting right away. Um, it's Mexico, right? I mean, so right. It, it always is going to mean something. And in particular, because this group, this was the only time that Greg Berhalter and company were going to get this group together. The next time we see them, well, well, I mean, it counts. I mean, it is, we're, we're well, the octagonal now, instead of the hexagonal, <laughs> it's the octagonal now with these eight teams. And, you know, that was what did us in, in 2017. And so we're back at it. And I think that there's a real responsibility uh, that kind of goes throughout this group to say, all right, not on our watch, we're going to make sure that we fix what happened. And when it, when they look at this team and this generation of players, uh, it's going to be, you got to qualifying, you breezed through qualifying, and you did well uh, at a World Cup. And so I think they're coming in with a lot of confidence. And these types of games right now, uh, I think, mean a whole lot. What a relief. Sam? Yeah, Alex, good to see you again. Um, we had Matt Doyle on last week from MLS Soccer, and he, he had a really good tactical breakdown of the U.S.-Mexico game, I thought. Um, and when we were talking to him, he did kind of say, he did sort of concede that, you know, it was a little bit futile because these CONCACAF games just so often come down to emotion and just, just finding a way, you know, you can almost throw the tactics out the window. So I'm just curious to get your perspective on what that's like to go from playing for a club for nine months of the year to then all of a sudden having just a few weeks to get together for a game like this or a whole tournament. I mean, you know, how secondary do tactics and strategy kind of become? I mean, I think they are I think they are even more important now because of what Greg Berhalter at least has promised. And I do think has tried to you know, implement it with this team of a very different style of playing, a adherence to playing out of the back and keeping possession uh, in the way that they go about it, even with with risk. And, you know, to your point, you can get very, very pragmatic, very, very quickly when you are in a CONCACAF situation. And in a certain way, that 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 hurts me and hurts the romantic out there because you're betraying ultimately what you're you're saying is this ethos and this this identity i get it i understand why it's done and there's certainly a part of me that says just get the damn uh result that uh, uh, uh that you need um, from a tactical perspective you know what was interesting is we talk about some of these players right and 
the resume is all fine and well, but that's not what is going to play when that whistle blows on the field. And so you look at someone like Serginho Dest. He starts for one of the great teams in the world and as a starter with Barcelona. Right. And yet he looks like a very different player. He's, he's trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that, you know, you know, first off, the as great as the talent is around him in this national team, it's nothing like Barcelona. And so it's almost a, a step down. It's not a, the greatest phrase to use, but it is a step down in terms of what he has to what he what he is on the field with. And so he has to be able to adjust how he plays. And what we saw was because he plays for a team where you really don't have to defend a whole lot and going forward is encouraged and is available, he had to adjust. And we almost had to adjust our formation there to accommodate him. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be on the field, but someone like him and others, they have to adjust when they get there. And it's not a lot of time, as we know, even in normal circumstances. And here you get a, a few days here to implement what you're doing. You get thrown into the, into the mix and you hope that you can adjust both to the tactical part that's going on the mental part that's going on, the physical part of the travel, all of that kind of stuff that plays into it where your resume is all fine and well, but you're not in Kansas anymore when you get to the national team. Well, you know, it's funny these when you go either down a level or play another sort of level, the things that you're known for and that you're good at, you don't necessarily do. I do like, I know when, when I played, you know, in the Lanza League with your brother, by the way, um, I was a ball winning midfielder, but they heard I was a professional and they wanted me to score all kinds of goals. So suddenly I'm out there trying to put my foot in the ball, trying to do, you know, create. And it's like, that's not what I do. And I, I, I think that's a good point to make with Sergino Des because he's got all that talent, but how do we utilize it? How does it dovetail into the national team? How is it best used? And, you know, to Sam's point, these guys are not training nine months. You come into camp and it's like, you just got to play for a position and you got to see where the, 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 the cards fall. And there's competition too. Let's be honest. I mean, finally, I can't think of a time. Uh, well, first off, I, I, I can't think of a time where we are more optimistic about a team. All right. Mm -hmm. um, and yet this is coming off of 2017 where I can't think of a time where we were more pessimistic and, and a worse and lowest moment really in the, in the entire program. And then, uh, and then, a, and then COVID hits. Exactly. So COVID, yeah. So we're going to, but, but there's, you know, when Greg Berhalter now gets up, and looks down his bench at potential players coming in. I mean, you got like Brendan Aronson or, or Daryl DK or, or others here where you got some really, really good options there. Uh, not it, 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 First off, your 11, whatever it ends up being. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of talk when that 11 comes out, when we're ultimately there and knock on wood, we're at a World Cup about what that best 11 actually is because of and it's not just the, the the talent. We've had talent before, but it's just right. the sheer amount of talent that we have. And ultimately, Greg Berhalter has to figure out who that best 11 is. Not necessarily who the best 11 players are, but who that best collection of 11 players is. Well, these are these are the problems that someone like Italy or Portugal have. You know, like hey, the, the, guy, the guys that are, Italy would leave off the roster. problems. Champagne right. problems, as Tata Martino likes to say. Exactly. Grail? Yeah, uh, Lex, thanks for joining us. Um, you, uh, you've been a big... Uh, supporter of Josie Altidore. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we could all agree that the number nine position has yet to be solidified. Uh, I'm just curious where you are on Josie at the moment. And given what's going on in Toronto and some of that stuff, are you concerned at all about how that could play out in the U.S. men's national team locker room? Yeah, and so so for people that, that maybe don't know, Josie Altidore uh, right now is uh, training on his own with Toronto FC, which is which is uh, strange. I mean, by the way, their uh, Toronto FC is based uh, camp in Florida. So 
I mean, it's it's over the relationship with Toronto FC and a very fruitful re- relationship uh, in terms of the results that it brought, MLS Cups that it brought, the success that it brought, and by the way, the the incredible amount of millions and millions and millions of dollars that it brought to Josie uh, yeah. when he when he decided to come to Toronto FC. It seems to be over. That relationship is over. But now it's uh, the problem is finding a place for him because everybody knows that it's over. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that just think that he's either not good enough right now for what they need. Um, not better than anything that they have or uh, because they're not going to take on the money because Toronto's going to eat the money or they say, we don't need that type of personality in our locker room uh, right now. Uh, you know, it could be a combination of, of all of those things as it relates to the national team, the, the, the problem for Greg Burr, I mean, this, these are once again, champagne problems, problems but yeah. we still don't have that person. And, you know, Josh Sargent has been given opportunity after opportunity. I don't think that he has grabbed hold of it yet. And I don't think anybody has grabbed hold of it yet. And that position, that person, uh, we do need somebody up there, somebody that not just scores goals, because that's obviously always going to be your, your job up there, but holds the ball up under pressure, because there will be times where we are playing elite teams and teams that are better than us, where we're going to need somebody to relieve pressure, to, to take fouls, right. to do all the things that you want uh, up. And that's why people get so excited about someone like Daryl DK. He might, Daryl DK might just be an average player. Who knows? I, I, I think he's going to be better than average, but the, but that he's happening right now in a moment where there is this opportunity means that we are, are, it's our desperation for somebody please to step up and grab a hold of it. Nobody has yet. That's what's exciting about the national team is these, you know, I, I have lost track of all the players to tell you the truth. You're kind of like, wow, who's this and what? All right. I got to do my little more due diligence, um, but to go back to Josie for a bit, he's a known quantity. Um, and I'm not sure in Toronto if it's a Toronto problem or a Chris Armis problem. And you know both these guys very well. Um, is there a chance with the bad start and Josie's attitude and his three and a half million dollar contract a year? You know, um, is there a chance that that Chris goes and not um, and not Josie? Um, look, it's always easier to fire the coach than it is to fire the team uh, mm-hmm. or, or players. But I think in this instance. No, I think that I don't think there's a chance that uh, um, that Chris Armas goes. I mean, unless it's just a complete disaster. And look, they they like to your point. Toronto has not been good this year, and Toronto has traditionally been good. And he's taking over from a Greg Vanny who had that team flying uh, for the most part. It was very very successful. And now, by the way, Greg Vanny in Los Angeles is doing <laughs> is doing good things with the uh, with the LA Galaxy. So that's not a good look for Chris Armas. But, you know, you also have to give him the team that he wants. And if he right. sees the future with this team not having Josie Altidore, he would not be the first nor the last coach to decide that they want or they don't want uh, players. And so now the problem is who's going to take him? Because, you know, as I said before, and, and you mentioned his contract, everybody knows that he's being shipped. He's not even training with the team. So if I'm on the other side, I'm going to say, all right, you eat the whole salary. And then maybe I will <laughs> will take him. And some will say, even if you eat the whole salary, he's not the player that fits into what we're doing, either because of the way that he plays on the field or the personality or whatever it ends, uh, ends up being. I, I still think that Josie can be, um, you know, it can, can serve a purpose for a number of teams out there. But it's I mean, it's it's a really interesting situation that that has been created. And let's be honest, it's being created because this is this is all about personal relationships. Right. So whatever it is that came in with Chris Armas and the leadership at TFC and Josie Altidore, there is some sort of friction. I don't know where it stems from or if it's a, uh, you know, something that was done, a specific moment or a buildup of, of, of things. But you're at this point now where it does not look like Josie Altidore is going to be part of the future of TFC. What remains to be seen is, is he the part of the future of another club right now? 
You could be playing in the Laza League with your brother and I. Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, I think there'll be suitors. You know, I mean, people talk about uh, yeah. Liga MX and different stuff out there for Josie if he wants to continue continue playing. And look, if it's if this is the end of of Josie, he's been he's been incredible. And yeah. um, and the reason why we are you know talking about that number nine position is because what Josie has meant for so many years up there, and he is for a lot of people the prototype of what you're uh, what you're looking for. I don't necessarily think it has to be the exact Josie, but the impact that Josie had on a consistent basis is what needs to happen with whoever takes that number nine position for the U.S. Men's National. Yeah, and it seems like Greg has very much made a, a clean sweep of, of things. It's it's a new regime. Yep. And, and he took advantage of the, the quarantine with that whole thing because players gener- generally play themselves into positions. And this time it was sort of a wholesale change. Michael Bradley's left off. Josie perhaps will be left off. Uh, I think in, in all likelihood he'll probably be left off, I think, though. I understand your point. That's one of our weaknesses is, is that holdup play that we have up front. And, and you, can, you can understand, uh, you know, Greg Berhalter and this national team, and, and I certainly can, that you, you want a kind of clean slate. And I know there's a couple leftovers, what you had, uh, uh, obviously, Christian Pulisic, um, Sebastian Legette and John Brooks, who I think are going to continue on. But for the most part, when we see this team starting and qualifying and then knock on wood in the World Cup in Qatar next year, it's going to be a vastly different array of faces uh, than that previous uh, that previous cycle. And yeah. it doesn't mean that, you know, someone like Michael Bradley or anything couldn't couldn't be successful on that team. But you kind of you kind of want to start anew, especially given how epic a failure it was in 2007. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But part of me says a little bit of the baby can go out with the bathwater. Well, and then especially when a guy like McKenney steps up with, in such yep. a leadership role, I mean, dictating things on the field, off the field with the referee. I mean, he's a leader. You can just see it. And uh, he's the guy you'd love to get on, your, you know, have on your team. He's uh-huh. got your back. So, uh, Grill? Yeah, Alex, it's uh, it's kind of a curious situation where you've got you guys at Fox doing Copa America and simultaneously ESPN's doing Euro, I'll call it Euro 2020 since that's right. the original name. <laughs> right, right. I'm just curious, how much do you, I mean, how... How does that work? I know this is the summer of soccer, but in a perfect world, one would think as a viewer and in your job, it would be better if you didn't have competing major tournaments going on simultaneously. I'm just curious how you feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it really comes down to time slots, right? So yeah. w- there's not a whole lot of over overlap. It's you know morning and afternoon. And look, mm-hmm. is it is it is it a glut? Do people get you know over soccered? Um, I don't know. You, you you guys are soccer people. We we, we tend to. We will eat well past uh, being full uh, <laughs> right, right. And, and gladly do it and have done it for many, many years. And especially, you know, those of us like, like you guys, we've been around for a while. And we, we've seen the, you know, the 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 desert type of existence. And so now when we have this <laughs> this incredible buffet on tap, <laughs> we're going to try it all. Um, and we're going and we're and we're used to trying uh, trying it all. But look, I think there's I think there's also room. Uh, for you know, for the existence. Uh, look, over the last what uh, forty-eight hours or so, the last three days, Messi has scored, Neymar has scored, Cristiano Ronaldo has scored. Uh, so that's good. That's good for the individual tournaments. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, from a Copa America perspective, we're playing up the fact that Messi and uh, Neymar are there and scoring. 
and you 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 know they were i'm sure espn was very very happy yesterday to see cristiano ronaldo it's not it's not all about stars but you want your stars to show up and that mm-hmm. brings yeah. a whole lot more people into that tent so there's the individual tents of these uh whether it's euros or copa america or something like that but then there's the overall tent of soccer and mm-hmm. i don't i don't care how you get there and i don't care if you're watching it on espn or fox or you know cbs cbs or or, or streaming it or whatever it ends up being as long as you're in that soccer tent uh i'm good with it yeah i, I mean these guys i i can't believe they're just they probably are exhausted it's just they exhaust all the games they've been playing so look uh my favorite sporting events, World Cup, obviously, the Final Four basketball, and then the Stanley Cup playoffs, because there's nothing like playoff hockey, man. They, they just, even if you don't know the sport very well, you just can see the sheer effort on every single shift that these guys play. Now, these two guys, uh, Sam and, and Grail, are both hockey nuts. So um, they have some questions as, as to how it dovetails into soccer development and otherwise. Sam? Okay. Yeah, well, first, like I'm curious. I know you were a really good hockey player growing up. Uh, state ah, he was champ- all right. He was all right. State champion in Michigan, which is, <laughs> you know, probably one of the best three states for high school hockey. And that you also played at Rutgers. So my first question on that is, how did you get your coach to let you play hockey in the offseason? Was that a struggle or was that just a different era? Uh, oh, so, uh, so to your point, I, you know, I grew up in Michigan and it's the law in Michigan that you got to play hockey. And I actually grew up playing a whole lot more hockey than uh, than soccer. And, and, you know, I started on ponds and, you know, flooding the um, the driveway and the backyard rinks and those types of stuff. So I had that type of existence from a hockey perspective. Uh, and I was really into uh, really into hockey. So mm-hmm. when I got to Rutgers and, um, you know, was playing uh, Division One soccer there, you know, on a, on a soccer lasts. scholarship, right, Lex? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's what I was. That was that's you know that, right. that that was my focus from a sports perspective. But yeah. they had they had a hockey team, and uh, I guess the answer is I didn't necessarily get permission to do it. <laughs> it's just kind of it happened. Showed and up as as it went along. There there became more and more concerns with the fact <laughs> that I was doing that. But I I think they also recognized that I that I love to do it. And I know we're, we're all kind of from a previous generation where multiple sport athletes mm-hmm. were, were less of a rarity and that specialization that happens right now. And I, I, I guarantee you, I am a better soccer player for having hockey in my life. And I was a better hockey player for having soccer in my, in my life uh, growing up and look, a lifelong Red Wings fan, you know, and now long suffering. Um, you know, I, I have a, I have a son who got into hockey at a very early age. Oh no. It's obviously I, you know, I tried to get him into that, that Red Wings thing and yeah, it did not go so well because you know, the, uh, the, the now, uh, you know, long years of futility just did not, uh, was not great for him. And I, I look at the Red Wings as the Red Wings yeah. and yet, they they have not been the the quote unquote Red Wings for a long time, unfortunately. And I would love to be a, in the Rutgers coaching staff on the hockey team, a, a six foot two redheaded all American soccer player. You don't have a tendency to blend in, dude. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I love it, and I continue to play out here in in L.A. in the beer leagues and stuff like that. So oh, I, nice. I I love it. It was and it's and it was such a you know growing up the the hockey world and obviously the hockey culture you mentioned you know just just in some place like Michigan is is steeped in it relative to the the soccer culture and but there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of uh, connections and threads uh, between the two that are obvious and maybe some that aren't 
So I, I want to I want to build off that in terms of the overlap. Um, so I, I'm sure you know all this, but just for people listening, in '96, the USA Hockey launched the National Team Development Program, actually quite close to where you grew up, I think, in Plymouth, Michigan. Uh, and since then, uh, they have just churned out an incredible amount of talent. I would say probably the U.S. crop right now is as deep and certainly as skilled as we've ever had. And it didn't happen overnight, but I mean, now all of a sudden we have number one picks coming from Florida and uh, Arizona, which, you know, people would have thought impossible. So I I'm wondering, I know it in many ways there are overlaps in many ways these are two completely different worlds and demographics but are there any lessons from this that you know u.s soccer can learn and apply in developing players here are there other things going on that maybe i don't even know about well i mean there's a, you know, look there's a couple of things in first off big picture in general you're dealing with a sport in hockey and soccer uh, and oftentimes people will say one of the reasons why soccer isn't yet more popular or more don't play it is because we're not the best at it, right? Or we don't have the best, we don't have the best league. When it comes to the NHL, yes, we have the best league, but when it comes to American hockey players, um, that's not, not, not necessarily the case. We certainly have had wonderful American hockey players, but certainly the, you know, the Canadian influence and, uh, and then the international influence of it. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's a similarity. The, you know, the international part of the game, you know, one of the reasons why I, I loved soccer was when I walked out of my front, uh, uh, sidewalk and started juggling a ball. I knew that on the other side of the world, there was a young boy or girl that was doing the exact same thing that I had no real connection with in terms of culture or language, but I had this connection when it came to the game. I love that. And, you know, hockey is, is very, very international and certainly has become much more international in terms of the NHL and, and what it's done over the last 20, 30, uh, 30 years. And I, I love that ab about the game. The development is, is, is really interesting because, you know, hockey, uh, it costs more than soccer in terms of uh, the equipment, uh, the resources, notwithstanding, you know, ponds and stuff like that. But if you're doing it at a, you know, any type of, uh, of level an organized level, uh, you need uh, you need resources and fields and like like soccer, you need fields, but you need rinks and that kind of stuff. And so it is kind of limiting and therefore much more exclusive, if you if you will. But the actual development. Um, you know, hockey's been doing kind of specialization, I, I guess it will, and 10,000 hours type of thing, whether they knew it or not, for a lot longer than uh, than other sports and certainly a lot of other uh, other American sports uh, right there. But, you know, hockey's big, big thing in terms of spreading the gospel of hockey was getting to places and to people that normally wouldn't have hockey because of, you know, just practical reasons and where, you know, the the. Um, the climate uh, and the and geography, or then, you know, the actual culture and the lack of history when it comes to, uh, when it comes to that, even out here in Los Angeles and, and, and different places. And whether it's putting professional teams in different places in the same way that from a soccer perspective, getting soccer to people. Now we don't have the, the limitation of, uh, of, uh, of weather and, and, or, or facilities like that. All you need is a ball and a place, a place to play, but still, exposing it to people and getting them in, interested in something that they don't necessarily have a background in. I mean, that's the real trick. And that's the real trick for hockey. That's the real trick, uh, trick, uh, trick for soccer. And a lot of that trick is solved by getting to play, or getting to young people and getting them at an early age and exposing them, at least exposing them. And because you never know when you expose a kid to something, when they are going to say, hey, this is awesome. I really, really enjoy that. And so many generations when it comes to hockey and soccer, 
they were never exposed to that particular sport at a young age. And so I would think that there's a lot of similarities in the way that they are targeting and the way that they are using the game to get into, you know, some of these communities that haven't been exposed to hockey or soccer uh, and get them, get them an early age. We know most of them are going to go off different ways, but if a couple of them remain, who knows, that could be the next Wayne Gretzky or that could be the next Christian Pulisic. And that's the great thing you're saying about the summer of soccer. I left my buddy's house yesterday. He's got a 10-year-old boy. They were getting ready for baseball practice, but four of them were sitting down watching soccer, you know, and, and cheering. And it's like, okay, it's, it's, uh, it's permeating into their brains and they're seeing what's actually possible, you know, uh, with, uh, with skills and everything. So, uh, and by the way, uh, my, my alma mater, Sam's alma mater, uh, UMass won the national championship this year. So there we go. Uh, and hockey's a fun sport. I mean, for the campus, it's just, it really, oh. it is really a blast. And I've always loved hockey players only because I think, they love the game so much. I don't think they tell anybody they probably play for nothing, but these Canadian guys who live in and Americans, they live in people's homes and these families that, that aren't theirs take care of them and they become very respectful. And, and I've always loved hanging out with those guys. And they, and they love soccer players. I, I don't know. Did I tell you my Wayne Gretzky story? No, I got one too. So go okay. ahead. Let me hear so, yours. All right. So many, many years ago, there were these things called, um, uh, all-star cafes, right? I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. them, but yeah, they were like, you know, these sports people got together and it was basically the, um, you know, the, the hard rock cafe, but for sports, right? So nice. good idea. Good idea. Sports and all that. Anyway, so they would fly sports people into the openings of these things. And I flew down to one, I think it was down in my, Miami or something. They've, they've since gone away, but I flew yeah. down there and there was all of these, uh, you know, big time sports people. And when they brought us all into a room beforehand to explain what was going on and Gretzky was there. And so for me, I mean, like, I, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. He walked <laughs> into the room, uh, got himself a beer and, and came over to me and said, I'm going to hang with the soccer players. Cause, <laughs> cause they're the yeah, ones really? that know how to have fun. <laughs> I didn't mean, it just made, it just made my day that he, you know, even acknowledged me or anything like yeah, that. It was awesome. It was awesome. And, and, you know, the amount of time, I mean, like I grew up watching hockey night in Canada, you know, next to yeah. being in Detroit there. And I would, I would set myself up on Saturday nights with my towel and my chips and my root beer as, you know, Daryl Sittler and the Toronto Maple Leafs, which would show, you know, I mean, it was, it was just ridiculous stuff uh, that, that, uh, that I was doing, but um, I don't know. That's, that's my question. Um, so my so after, after, after playing in the indoor league, I went to Boston and coached there at, at BU and uh, was hanging out. You know, Boston really has a lot of hockey tradition based sure. on the Bruins and Bobby Orr. So you're talking about an influential player that suddenly uh, generations of, of kids from the Massachusetts area, great hockey, by the way, are starting to play because of one man, really. So, so I'm at a, the Cam Neely Foundation uh, one of these benefits and, and there's a bunch of, you know, comics there and also a bunch of hockey players. Gretzky's one of them, but I'm with a bunch of Boston comics, you know, Dennis Leary, a few guys, Don Gavin, Steve Sweeney. We're all looking at this picture of Bobby Orr flying through the air when he scored that goal. And we're, they're like, uh, greatest hockey player ever. Nah, somebody's not nah, Gretzky. And they're like, nah, Bobby, you're Gordy. Nah, you know, they're having an argument. Gretzky walks over, points to the picture and goes, greatest hockey player ever lived wow <laughs> we're like whoa <laughs> humility as well unbelievable so uh so good Great stuff way. so hey um a couple things lex so uh you got uh it's amazing what twitter picks up and what gets you know uh but this whole thing with heather uh when oh, you guys yeah. are on air fox it was just such a non-comment and then suddenly it becomes a big deal I, I just don't get it what what are your thoughts on it well look I, i've i've broadcast 
soccer and I will broadcast soccer, men's, yeah. women's, co-ed naked. I don't care. As long as people are <laughs> yeah. kicking a ball, I'll do right. it. And I, I've, I've really had the, you know, the honor and the privilege of, of doing now many, many years of, of women's soccer. And whether it's the U.S. women's national team in, in a friendly or whether it's, you know, a, a, women's world, a women's world cup. And I, the people that I work with are wonderful. And whether it's, you know, uh, Heather O'Reilly or, any, or anybody else out there. And so I've worked with her uh, for years. And it, it was funny. But I'll tell you. Uh, you know, I mean, look, we know that that Twitter is not a focus group. All right. No, it's an echo chamber. But uh, <laughs> the mob. But the, but, but I, you know, I never get more screaming and yelling at me than after a women's broadcast. I mean, right. uh, being on it, people that are outraged at first. I mean, in general, people are outraged oftentimes at things I say. That's fine. Whatever. But this is coupled with I'm outraged with what you say and you shouldn't even be on it because because you're a male. So okay, uh, yeah. we, we get we get into all that and 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 uh, th that's fine. And I love Heather because you know she's she's coming to uh, to television and you know she's trying to figure it out. This, I mean, she's an incredible, uh, successful champion uh, on the soccer field, but she's trying to figure out uh, soccer television and what it all is. And you know, it's it's not always it's not always easy. And she holds her she holds her own. She's got an opinion. Um, and she, and as we saw the other day, you know, she can see a moment and and take that zinger when it's a when it's a given to her. Low hanging yeah. fruit right there. And so she uh, she did it, and I love it. I I well, love when when she uh, when she uh, when she gives um, uh, to me and and everybody else. Oh, that, yeah. It makes for good TV. It does. And, you know, it puts some personality in the box and it's an American voice, which I love, which we've always been proponents of here. And I think Fox does a great job with that as well. Um, it's always, but your point was the same problem Burhalter has, which is like, how do you see players play or are you trying to just win all the games? So can you take a loss, but you got to see a new back four or whatever. And I think that was what your point was. Yeah. And um, if I asked, but if I, if I asked the women uh, that have won gold medals and won world cups, if you could only win one, I think that they would say world cup. And that my point was this women's national team, that's where their brand really is created is winning the world cup. It's a stage all their own, as opposed to the Olympics where they're sharing it. And from a soccer perspective, the World Cup is the pinnacle uh, when it comes to what we're doing. So that's, you know, that was the point that I, that I was making. But listen, if if not having won a gold medal, which I certainly didn't even come close to winning a gold right. medal, pre precludes me from actually talking about something, something like that. We can go down that road all day long and we can go back. We can go back and forth of what you did do or what you didn't do. Or, hey, there's a goalkeeper. Why should the goalkeeper well, be able to talk about that? All, all that? all that kind of stuff. So it well, was, for, for, uh, me, for me, the big point is it's it's really when you're talking men's soccer and women's soccer globally it's really apples and oranges because our women god bless them they've been a, a, an example for the world of women's rights lots of these countries that dominate in soccer women aren't even allowed to play so it's sort of like i say to them you, you guys should be winning the world cup you should be winning the the gold medal and you should be leading continue to lead the world on on women's rights because i think we were talking about it last week in 1994 it was illegal for a, a woman to play soccer in brazil so you know, to say it's just, I can't, you know, every summer camp I go to, I go to Mike Newton's camp or something in Clemson and, it, and the kids are like, why can't our men win? Our women win. It's like, oh God, fellas, it's a different, it's a different deal, you know? So, uh, well, look, as long as they keep winning, I'm, I'm good. And they, oh, we're what happy. they're doing on the field is great. What they're doing off the field is great. And, and like I said, it's, it's the soccer tent. So I don't care how you get there, whatever draws you in. Uh, that's cool. I mean, whether it's, you know, whether it's watching a world cup, 
you know, we're doing a podcast. All of this is about the beautiful game that we love and in particular beautiful game and making it beautiful and exposing it to as many different people here in the country that we, that we love. And so and you guys this- are doing a great job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully this, this summer of soccer, we get out and some people explored it and came into that tent that they maybe wouldn't have uh, gone into. Absolutely. Before. All right. Well, that's a great place to wrap. Unless Sam, uh, Grail, you have another question. Yeah, just a quick one, Alexi. I, I, I just want to say, I love your candor and the four of us are huge women's soccer fans and I think we will have arrived where we can say whatever we want objectively and honestly about the men's game in the same way about the women's game and make the same observations and not, and not be worried about how it's taken. Because if the, if the playing field, we want it to be absolutely level, then the commentary and everything that goes along with it has to be just as honest. Yep. And I don't think that we're quite there yet. No, I mean, look, I, I made a constant effort when I started doing women's soccer. And, and I remember saying to people, uh, even before we went on air, I am going to do this in the exact same way that I do the men's team. Now, look, there's a little judging here, here or there because because um, I, I think there has to be. But I think that that at times is jarring for, for people that haven't heard that type of criticism because it really comes down to criticism nobody ever right, yells when right. you're uh when when you're flowery and incredible and when you're praising somebody <laughs> it really comes down to criticism and criticism is part of our business it is part of every single sport out there and you have to be legitimate in your criticism and i think you have to be fair in terms of your criticism and i, I like to think that i am but if somebody's not playing well they're not playing well all right and it has nothing to do with whether you're a man uh, or, or woman it's whether you you are a professional soccer player in this moment and my job is to critique what is going on on the field and i think i think we've done that and and when you do that and whether it's coming from a man or a woman or anybody else out there i think that 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 helps because that increases credibility and this inevitable compare and contrast that is uh, that is going to happen and so having people like heather uh, that 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 are, that are speaking their mind that's a, that's a good thing. And it's not always right. easy because you feel, especially, you know, if you, if you're close, if you have connections with, with people, you got to be able to do that and separate yourself and say, this is my opinion. It might not be positive in this moment. Uh, it might, it might be critical in this moment, but by pulling that punch, you're not doing, well, you're not doing your job and you're not doing the sport any favors Service. in terms of increasing credibility. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think your point about growth, this is a good thing. There was a time when nobody really cared or listened yep. to what was going on in our soccer sphere. And now everybody's got an opinion. I always, I always love getting the opinions though from soccer people who aren't really soccer people that like, they know two names, Pele and Beckham. I'm like, okay, sure. well, you're showing your, your lack thereof of knowledge at that point. So, so Lex, man, we uh, love having you on the show. We appreciate it. And um, I could, it was nice to match Gretzky stories with you there. That there was, we go. I there love the go. fact Whoa. that he walked over to a soccer player because we know uh, how to hang. It, That's it, the bottom he, knew, line. he knew where to go to have he a good time. He knew where to go. <laughs> so, yeah, but, what, but Alexi, what would he think of Kevin's hair? I think that's uh, the most important. Oh, they, come on, junior hockey hair, dude. This is what I'm going for, man. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's got a full, like, uh, 80s, uh, you know, um, you know, those uh, all the different Mala? 80s movies <laughs> and the high school stuff where, you know, you're the you're the 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 uh, the jerk uh, side of it whatever <laughs> I'm the jock idiot like the McConaughey yeah, like, character you know, come man. on man let's go you guys all right well Lex man keep it up uh, we enjoy watching the Copas uh, say hey to the boys and and the women that uh, that you're working with and we'll see you again on over the ball pal thanks guys have a great summer of soccer hey remember to tweet us at over the ball like us on Facebook and Instagram and write a review in fact make us one of your favorites it makes a big difference. 
All right. Great, as always, to talk to Alexi Lalas. So, uh, guys, hockey. You found your hockey buddy, man. Oh, man. He, he knows his hockey stuff. He knows a lot about a lot of things, to be honest with you. Yeah, one one point I didn't I didn't get to throw out there was uh, I was watching Russia play against Belgium uh, over the weekend um, at the same time as I was watching an NHL Stanley Cup playoff game, and I was I was struck by how the Russians in the NHL to me are very often the sort of most creative, inventive, possession based players, and at times almost like a little averse to physical contact. Whereas the Russian soccer team is very much the opposite; they're very physical, they're very direct. Yeah, the kind um, of bruisers. I, I, yeah, love, so. I love it. I love that Sam is channeling his inner Don Cherry talking about these soft Russians. <laughs> well, it's it's just inter- It just shows that there's very uh, two very clearly different. Kasparitis, Kucherov, yeah. all of these players are very are or were very physical. I'm That's not, true, but 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 you can concede that the I Russian do players are skilled. incredibly skilled, and yes. you know, okay. Yes. Yeah, they're skating circles around many players who are looking to fight them, and they're like, "No, I think I'll just pass and score a goal." And Grail, what did you what do you want to get to? Uh, yeah, just the Super League fallout, which I think is a big fat, <laughs> you know, nothing burger in terms of what they've decided doing. Because again, to me, financial penalties mean nothing in the world of sports, right? So the big six clubs were fined a total of 22 million pounds, which equated to 3.6 million pounds per team by the Premier League and the Football Association, the FA, as a gesture of goodwill. That was what was released to the statement. They could have been harder on them. So next time, the next violation, guys, and we really mean it this time, is you're gonna be fined 25 million pounds each and you're gonna be docked 30 points on the league table. All right. And uh, well, it deservedly so. And it is a drop in the bucket to them, especially. And, yeah, you wait to find them nine. Uh, you wait to find them the nine clubs, 13 million pounds collectively, which was like 1.4 million pounds per team, which again, ho hum. Okay. And uh, speaking of money, uh, Cindy Parlow had some interesting comments. Yeah. So Cindy Parlow, uh, you know, former U.S. women's national team standout, who's now the head of U.S. soccer, basically came out and reiterated to the women's national team that their fool's errand lawsuit of trying to recoup 60 million from previous World Cups, which by, by the way is the per, under the purview of FIFA is just not gonna happen because US soccer in no way controls the money that comes from World Cups. So she, again, I think she was just leveling expectations by just saying, God, you're not going to be getting $60 million. Well, this is we would refreshing. Go this is refreshing because everything's painted in a sexist nature and it's basically money. And um, and I feel like I, I wanted to ask Lexi about this too, because most people I talk to about this issue are completely ill-informed. They yeah. just think it's a sexist play by the, by the men's, by the U.S. soccer. And it, it really, they don't know the facts. And yeah. I feel like, like Megan Rapinoe is basically propagating a disinformation campaign so it's sort of like people don't know the fact so it's nice that cindy says this because you know coming from cindy coming cindy. from cindy changes it from coming from some male caveman yeah. who was running it but also you know we all agree it's not about equal pay it's about equitable pay right equitable which means you should get the same percentage of the proceeds that the men's get, but you're not going to get the same amount. It's just not going to work that way. 
Well, we've we've talked about this before. I mean, certain things like like the uh, you know housing and and travel should be the same no on brainer. par for you know. But it's the it's the different stratification of of medical benefits and uh, and their their contracts themselves are being paid by other you know. It's it's really convoluted. And when you explain it to some people, they sort of like, oh, never knew that. And that's why I think it was it's disingenuous what. Yeah. Uh, what, what they're doing anyway all right so sam yeah uh, we i always get pushback by the way on that on twitter but that's that's kind of how i feel like it's bad uh, you know remember professor banks t- talking about it. it was like they they're dreaming they're 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 dreaming if they, they want to take money that's not being allocated to us as theirs it's just yeah. and then not count the 10 million that goes into the uh the, to the women's league it's it's absurd so yeah. all right sam what do you got for quiz anyway yeah quiz this week uh is addressing this sort of broad sense that i think we all can agree is out there around the u.s national team right now which is you know we finally have these players performing at all these huge clubs why are we as a national team not sort of dominating um accordingly so obviously the players i'm talking about are Pulisic at Chelsea, McKenney at Juve, Adams at Leipzig, Reyn at Dortmund, and Dest at Barcelona, who mm-hmm. are all in basically, you know, top clubs. Uh, so I, I leave out Zach Steffen because he doesn't play regularly, and I have to I think we have to concede he's basically a backup at this point. So uh, wow, I don't is, think people would I don't think people would give you that uh, off the top of their heads like that. But I, I think that's a good point of discussion uh, because Ethan Horvath has kind of played himself into the position. He seems a little more relaxed back there as well. But sorry, anyway, I'm I'm yeah. in a backup. I'm in a backup at Man City. Oh, 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 no, okay. not on the my bad, my team. bad. No, yeah, no, but I, I think okay. on the national team, it might be up for debate now as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, it could be. So um, this week's club is about sort of perspective. Uh, sorry, this week's quiz is about perspective a little bit. So I'm going to list just the clubs represented by five players from five different teams at the Euro. Okay. And based on that, I want you guys to try and guess the national team I'm talking about. I've done my best to find comparable clubs. So essentially I've gone for champions league teams or top half premier league teams, which I think most, you can call me out on it when I say them, but I think most <laughs> I'm, people. Uh, I'm already confused. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, if, if people could see Flinny's expression right now on zoom, oh my he's, God. he's glazed, he's glazed over. All the zoom meetings I miss and everything. Oh, it's terrible. I can't even zip my bad oh, pants most whoa. days. Braille, you understand it though. I right? do. Let's just go. Okay, great. Okay. So team one. Okay. These are the five clubs represented Leeds, yeah. Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Man United. I think we can all agree those are five very yes. good teams. Yes. Okay. What team do you think I'm talking about? Oh, the obvious would be England. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to say England. Okay. I'm talking about Scotland. Oh. Good. Okay. okay. Team two. Team two. West Ham. Hey, by, by the way, uh, Sam, that was a trick. That was a trick question. In what was, way? With Sam, with Scotland. All right, you, you got it. Okay. You got us. I, you know what? Uh, Grail Leeds should have thrown us. A, a, well, no, because because of Phillips playing for England. Okay. Oh, ahead. right, right, right. Okay. Okay. West Ham team two. West Ham, Juventus, Leeds again, Napoli, Bayern Munich. Mm. Mm, no, that's a tough. Uh, again, Bayern. I think we can agree five pretty top teams. I'm going to say Italy. Kevin? Uh, I don't know. Poland. Okay. 
Team uh, Bayern, three. that was the key. That was the key. Team three, Leicester City, Juventus, Lille, who are the French champions, Leicester again, and AC Milan. I'm going to go with Denmark. I'm going to go with France. Turkey. Okay. <sighs> God, we're 0 for 3. Cold Team cut. four, Tottenham, Liverpool, Juventus, Real Madrid, Man United. I'm going to go with England again this time. Okay. There's a theme here you should be picking up on by now, Kevin. Which I'm clearly not. Croatian. Wales. Oh, you're doing that. Team five. Team five. Real Madrid, West Ham, Man City, and then Atalanta times two. Portugal? Portugal, yeah, that's what I would say. Okay, Ukraine. Okay, oh, that's, so that's a trick oh, point, the Fine. point of this quiz oh, yeah. is to, to make us look like morons. No, I mean, is to rein in expectations. Okay, yeah. I don't think anyone would consider any team I just mentioned oh. to be, you know, winning a World Cup anytime right. soon. Right. The point is the teams that challenge for the World Cups have an entire roster mm-hmm. of players from these teams. Okay. Yeah, and I, I'm I didn't I didn't include Norway, who didn't even qualify. But if I did one for Norway, it would look like this: Real Madrid, Milan, Leipzig, Everton, Dortmund. Wow! Okay, so, oh, Sam, I tell you, that's one of the most informative quizzes point you is, have had. My point is that yes, we have some very top players, but what it takes to get to the next level is a lot more than that. And again, right. I'm not yeah. trying to be negative. I'm just trying to balance no. out the expectations. No, it's it's look as a Serie A specialist, you see the Italian team, team um, that so I used to be amazed at the players that weren't taken by Italy. Like you, mm-hmm. you had to sort of bring in the right combinations of players. And mm-hmm. you know, I think we have players now. We do have a lot more depth and a lot more skillful players, but not at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have. And by the players, way, I, I made a conscious like I I went into this and found players that actually play. I'm not. Yeah. These aren't people that have just been subs. like farmed out. To, right. Right. Well, right, they right. can be subs, but they're yeah. not people that have been farmed out on loan, etc. Right. Right. So, good. man, I like anyway. that one. That was yeah. a good, the good stuff. So, so Sam, quick question for you. So um, I want to turn the tables on you. Yeah. So Italy came roaring out of the gate with a three nil win over Turkey. Mm-hmm. Switzerland's up next today. Mm-hmm. What, what What are your expectations? I mean. Are they the real deal if they put a good result in against Switzerland? I'm I'm not super high on Switzerland after what I saw from them yeah. in the first game against Wales. I thought they were okay. Uh, I think I think Italy will win, but yeah. I I don't think anyone in the group is really going to give them a, enough of a test. To, I'd say right. two one two one Italy. You know, but by the way, just quickly, at. were you guys as disappointed in the France Germany match as I was? It's- Early round, you know it's going yeah. to be a snoozer. I feel like a chess match. You know? I've been very interested, like how divisive this is, because some people say it was an amazing match, and other mm. people say it was really boring. I, I'm more in the boring camp. Yeah, but I just, I'm always just impressed by how controlled France are. All right, well, good stuff, guys. I uh, we're going to get back to our game though. The Wales game is starting now. Wales yeah, England Scotland so, uh, on Friday, which is a battle of countries that dislike one another. One. I bet <laughs> Scotland, it, it could have gone another way for them. They, they yeah. had a few opportunities. So, all right, guys. Well, that was great. It was great getting uh, caught up with Lexi. Our, uh, thanks to Lexi for joining us here on OTB for Sam Griswold and Grail Howell. And I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.